0: I'm just going to methodically approach this and go through a good number of things. I want to consider each service and what we're trying to accomplish in the services. 2 Timothy 3, and this is where Paul is writing to Timothy. He's prophesying by way of Scripture about the apostasy that will come upon Believers is so-called believers. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Second Timothy 3, verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, trucebreakers, breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. And you may be seated. I do want to welcome all of our guests to Calvary Gospel Church. We're really thrilled that you have chosen to come and be with us. We are trying our best to entertain the presence of the Lord and get our hearts ready for the rapture. We trust that you will join in in this last-minute effort to ditch all things in our lives that are not profitable to righteousness. We know that the Bible talks about this. The Scripture tells us, The foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. The word great, as far as great house, is basically talking about a large house. If any man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel of honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. The scripture is so powerful. I have just been gaining so much through my private Devotion and reading of the Scripture. Now we know that no man knoweth the day nor the hour in which the Lord is going to return. We covered that last Thursday night. But we do know that there have been many, many signs fulfilled. We also know that the concern that we've had about preaching the gospel to every creature, that we are more enlightened than we've ever been because there have been areas opened in which we could go in to preach the gospel and eagerly going in our missionaries found so many people that were believers already that the gospel had already reached them i really don't know of any reason why jesus could not come at any time Brother Manley made a statement this morning in his preaching that was, I think, so timely. He talked about the significance of us not knowing the day nor the hour. He said if most of us knew when the Lord was going to return, we'd wait until the last moment to get our hearts ready. Consequently, the things that are to be done on the face of the earth would be undone because we would just sit by the wayside and wait now when i read first or second timothy 3 when it talks about perilous times there seems to be some words in this that do not necessarily fit if you know anything about the greek or if you've done any studying of this you know that the word perilous actually means dangerous times. It's taken from a phrase or word that carries the connotation of one who is losing his strength. Uh, Basically, if you became involved in some kind of a wrestling match and you were overpowered and you struggled and struggled and struggled, needless to say, as you went along you would get weaker and weaker and weaker and this is what the word perilous is describing to us and while it is true that we gain strength every day in the lord those people who are not committed to god they grow weaker and weaker and weaker at the wearing away of the saint's which according to Daniel is the design of the Antichrist movement that's in the world. I have talked with many people recently that just told me, said, you know, uh, Brother Grant, I just don't know if I can keep going. I keep talking about this and keep bringing it up. Because if you quit, I mean, what good is that going to do? Is it going to help you? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now one word that's found here in the Scripture that I want to talk about is found in verse 2, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, and I want to talk about unthankful. Now there are many things that are mentioned in this, but it seems like the word unthankful does not necessarily fit because you would not normally think of a person who is not grateful for things as as, as that being you know such a uh, such a terrible thing but what the scripture is saying is that when this pressure is applied and it works on the emotions of man that uh, one thing happens to us and that is we become ungrateful or we're not uh, thankful for what God is doing. Now I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. The Amplified Version contains many different possible translations. But just listen to this. But understand this, that in the last days there will set in perilous times of great stress and trouble. So the word stress is used. There are all kinds of Pills on the market today to relieve one from stress, and right now I feel like I need one. I've just been having problems with my my knee and then my ankle, and I sat in the office as long as I could. And Brother Manley had us all to stand. I thought I'm going to have to sit down. I have just uh, been having some health problems, and because of this, there's a lot of mental stress that comes in addition to the physical stress, because I think of all the things that I'm supposed to do. We go into our fall planning session in our district. I will be chairing our district board meeting from tomorrow night through Thursday. Hopefully be here Thursday night for the service. And then next week we go into our church planning. Got a full, full two weeks. And this is all important, but... It just seems like the older you get, the more responsibilities are placed on you. And then, of course, the more stress comes. Now, we should not be stressed out in doing the work of the Lord because God grants us strength. But sometimes with physical problems, uh, even though you are praying, you're trying your best to seek the Lord, that uh, just some additional or emotional stress comes, because you want to do everything that you possibly can do. But it is the job of the Antichrist to wear out the saints. And uh, certainly that's not uh, the job of the preacher. Not too long ago I had the privilege of talking to someone, and this individual was just talking about people not having much endurance anymore. And I said, you have to keep in mind now That the Antichrist's job is to wear out the saints. It's not the preacher's job to do that. And uh, who said that's right? (coughs) (laughs) It's all right, Valerie. I know who said it. (laughs) Valerie's a great supporter of my ministry. I appreciate her. I really do. (coughs) Now... (coughs) Everybody's looking at me and then looking at Valerie. I'm going to take a drink of water while you're laughing. Now, the scripture goes on, or that is, in the version that I'm reading, it goes on to say, these times are hard to deal with and very hard to bear. So there's a lot of stress, and these times are hard to deal with. They're hard to bear, all right? Verse two: For people will be lovers of self and utterly self-centered. My, I, I'm just a, uh, I'm just amazed. You know the emphasis that certain people place on life. Sister Grant and I had the, the privilege of visiting with a couple several years ago now, and a very fine couple, but uh, they were as, uh, what should I say? They were as. Uh, committed to shopping as much as anybody I've ever seen. You know, some people are committed to that. And uh, I think that uh, to go out and have a good evening of shopping is certainly all right, but you can't make shopping your life. Because you'll find out if you do, first place, you'll end up spending more money than you ought to on yourself, and you'll spend a whole lot more money on others than what you ought to and I think one of the the reasons why that we are fostering a generation of young people that are unthankful is because that rather than them having toys that cost just a few dollars, they're, they're playing with $100, $100 toys. And uh, uh, some of them with $2,000, $3,000 toys. I have known of uh, young people that we're given extremely large, uh, as far as the monetary value is concerned, gifts. I'm not saying I'm against that, but we expect that in our society. At any rate, visiting with this couple, the first thing that they ask us as we sit down for an evening meal, Brother Sister Grant, where do you usually shop? Well, I didn't know what to say, and my wife looked at me and said, well, no, I mean, where do you usually shop? I mean, does Madison have uh, the proper shopping facilities for a minister like yourself and and your lovely wife and and uh, we were just kind of taken back, you know. I, you know, my favorite shopping place is is Farm and Fleet. You know, uh, I, I mean, I just really like that store. You know, because I can go in there and get salt for the water uh, softener. I can get uh, uh, I can get dress slacks there. I can get, uh, uh, it's the only place in town that's got a belt big enough for me. And <laughs> I can get a battery for my car and tires. I can get mufflers there. You know, I can just get almost anything there. Uh, They don't, they're not much in groceries unless you like dog food. (laughs) But nevertheless, (laughs) you know, I didn't know what to say. And uh, without saying anything or looking at each other, Sister Grant and I, not knowing what to say, this this couple says, ah, we know, you probably slip off down Chicago and do your shopping. You know, I wanted to say, now which direction is that? (laughs) You know. But uh, we are entering into the, the time of the year in which our minds are constantly on us, uh, Christmas time. By the way, it, there's only 55 shopping days left until Christmas. <clears throat> now, if you think that's inaccurate, you just get the calendar and take a look. <clears throat> you know, papers post that, you know, only 55 days Shopping days left until Christmas. Years ago, they used to say that, and they they rubbed out um, uh, the Sunday because Sunday they had the blue law and you couldn't buy clothing and a few items on Sunday. But now, you know, Sunday is the major shopping day. Sister Grant and I were going up to Ellsworth Friday night to dedicate the church up there. The congregation dedicated a beautiful new auditorium. Uh, it seats about 150. We had about 250, 300 people in that place. I mean, it was standing room only. Great move of the Lord. But would you believe going up there, I saw a semi loaded with Christmas trees. And <clears throat> coming right down the freeway, my wife said, look at the Christmas trees. Now, I don't know how you can get a tree that's cut down in October to last until the first of the year. But, obviously, there must be some trick to it. All the the dealings I've had with trees, I wouldn't want to put up two or three. You know, when one dies, of course, I theoretically, I guess, when you cut it down, it's dead. But, but this just tells you, you know, what's going on. And then the bad thing about the upcoming holiday is that we leave the Lord out of it. God is left behind. It's what can... You buy for me, and what can I buy for you? We'll be taking our Christmas for Christ offering here uh, around Christmas time. Brother Thomas, Brother Blake will be showing us our Christmas for Christ slides when they come in. They're a little late this year. But uh, we trust that we will be able to make a good uh, push in our church and raise a good offering for starting churches. I set a goal at our Christmas for Christ banquet that we had last uh, Friday, a week ago, I set a goal for $8,000. Last year we turned in 7500 I don't see why we can't go 8000 this year. I do believe if we're going to do anything for the Lord, we certainly need to do it now. I believe that with all my heart. I believe it with all my heart. But did you know that when Sister Grant and I could not name a place that we shopped, these people began to feel sorry for us. They said, I know what it is, you don't have much time to go shopping. Well, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I have enough time to buy everything I need. Sometimes it's in and out of the store right fast. I think that people ought to dress nicely. They should, if they're representing the Lord, they should look uh, as well as they can. I, I believe that they, as God blesses them and as, they, as God prospers them, that uh, they should uh, certainly uh, take advantage by uh, complimenting the cause that they represent. But there's got to be a greater cause in life to live for than shopping. And uh, the couple went on to say, Well, I don't know what we would do. I really don't know what we would do if we did not have several, I mean, real nice shops to shop in. Well, I know what they'd do. They'd save money. Now... If I told them that some of my wife's clothes that she wears to church that she bought at Goodwill, I know they would have died. And somebody asked me, he said, Brother Grant, how come you don't buy clothes at Goodwill? (laughs) Well, it's none of your business. The only thing I saw at Goodwill that would fit me was a pup tent. (laughs) Oh, my wife told me not to start on that anymore. And I told you I wouldn't, honey. All right. Now, I'm going to to continue to read through this. All right. For men shall be lovers of self and utterly self-centered, lovers of money and aroused by an inordinate, inordinate greedy desire for wealth proud and arrogant, and contemptuous boasters. They will be abusive, blasphemers, scoffers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. That's something that you can't go into school and pray, but you can cuss all you want to and use the name of the Lord, nobody cares. In fact, his name is probably used more in the schools since prayer left the schools than his name was ever used when prayer was in the school. But nobody thinks anything about it. It's all right. See, if you, if you curse God, they will be without natural human affection, callous and humane, relentless, admitting of no truce or appeasement. They will be slanderers, false accusers, troublemakers, intemperate and loose in morals and conduct, uncontrolled and fierce, haters of good. Isn't that something? Now verse 4, they will be treacherous betrayers, rash and inflated with self-conceit. They will be lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements, more than and rather than lovers of God. I started doing some studying for this. I just opened uh, the paper to the advertisement of movies. I am amazed at what people are getting their kicks out of. I mean, if you, if you, maybe you've done this, maybe you've checked, but you look down the list, and honestly, it just, to me, it's the most repulsive thing that you could possibly look at. I don't know you know just just the advertising of these movies just it's uh, what you know I I just maybe I'm just old fashioned I don't know but it just I'm just appalled that that some of these things are 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 entertaining to some of people that they 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 like that but nevertheless uh They're making big bucks off of it. Someone just told me about a movie that someone made, and and the, the movie grossed $20 million in just a few days, I think five or six days. Now that is a lot of money. I stood up behind the pulpit, and I talked about our organization and our worldwide efforts to evangelize, and I said in 1993, 1994, that is our fiscal year started in July 1st of 93, went to June 30th of 94, uh, the money that we raised for world evangelism was in excess of $27 million. But can you believe that one movie took in $20 million in five days? That's just hard to believe, isn't it? Hard to believe. You know, Brother Wayne Huntley preached a message here on commitment, and I've been thinking this past week. I ask all of our leaders to take that and and listen to it, and then pass it out to their their people. I haven't asked where we are in this, but how many of you listen to this tape already? Raise your hand. All right, a, a few of you, but not nearly enough of you. Now, if you're a leader, you need to take that tape and take it to an individual and say, listen to it. See, that's what we said you should do with that. Listen to it yourself if you were not here when he preached that. Give it to someone else and give them to the next service, unless it's Sunday. Uh, We wouldn't expect someone to find time between Sunday morning and Sunday night to listen to it. But get it back, don't let them pass it to somebody else, and you pass it to somebody else. Basically what he was saying is, that people are so committed to the things of this world and yet so uncommitted to the things of the Lord. And uh, he talked about many, many different things that people commit themselves to. You know, drugs and alcohol and, and how excited they are to go to a rock uh, uh, concerts and, and such and then come to the house of the Lord and everybody wants to sit in the very back. Now, I know we have people sitting in the back seat, and I'm intentionally not looking now. And you may say, I don't think people ought to sit on the back seat. Well, before you are too uh, judgmental, let me inform you that we have people all over the place, and somebody has to sit back there. So the people who are on the back tonight would just love to be on the front if you would render your seat for them. So I just thought I'd throw that in, you know. But... uh, The thing about it is, he said, church is the only thing that I know of that you can go late and have to sit on the front. And he really did preach a good message. Now, I don't think he used the scripture, but I was reminded of what Jesus said, "Except your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. He said, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I understand that true righteousness comes from within, but basically righteousness means right doing. And I think there is a point in which you have to understand your commitment. Now the reason why that I feel that I have to live for God very hard, by that I mean, you know, if you live for God hard, it's easy. Did you know that? If you live for the Lord easy, it's hard. It's just, that's just the way it is. And the reason why I feel that I have to do that, because when I was in the world, while everything did not appeal to me, and I thank the Lord that He spared me from many different things that many of my peers got involved in, I will say this, whatever I did, I wanted to do it to the very best of my ability. The very best of my ability. When I started building homes, I I decided I want to take these plans, I want to study them, I want to learn to do this, I want to learn to do it correctly. It just so happened that when I was 19 years of age and I was working uh, as hard as I possibly could, I'd only built a few, helped on a few homes, but I I did know a little bit about math and a few things. And and would you believe that, that the foreman on the job, he got sick, and our regular boss, the man who just came around occasionally to see that we're doing, came out and said, "Well, look, there's nobody here but you and and a couple of guys that he had hired." And and I said, "I can build this house." And uh, you know, he said, "Well, huh, I don't know." And I said, "Sure, I can." And so, with hammer in my hand and a saw in the other, and. Uh, a frame and square and a level and a transit and a few things uh, i set out and would you believe that uh, with the, just a few people that knew a little bit about carpenter work we built this house and i had a uh, few problems with it but i see i had given myself to that when when i went to sleep at night i was thinking about it when i rose in the morning i was thinking about it uh, after a while, you just you just know wherever nails going in that house, where all the trim nails are going. I mean, you got you it all figured out. And uh, I, I still remember a, a plumber coming around. And uh, plumbers are just great, but they give carpenters a hard time. And uh, I think God put plumbers on the earth to give carpenters a hard time. I think that's their that, that that's their main goal. And, and that's your calling, and plumbing's just a sideline for them. Now, if we have any plumbers here? <clears throat> I would gladly try to defend myself in privacy with you. <laughs> no, I'm just joking about that, Roy. <clears throat> but you know what? Uh, uh, this plumber came around and he said, uh, Are you running this job? I said, Yes. He said, How old are you? And I said, I'm 19. And and he, he he laughed. He said, you are lying to me. I said, no, I, I'm serious with you. He said, who hung those doors? I said, I hung those doors. Now, that's before, you know, that we had pre-hung doors. I mean, when you hung a door, I meant you hung a door. I mean, <clears throat> you did it all. I said, yes, I did all that. He said, how long have you been doing this? I said, oh, about seven or eight months. He said, now, you did. Now, I said, no. I said, my wife's boss... Not my wife's boss. My my boss's wife. (laughs) My wife, I'll tell you, has to sit through this every Sunday night, you know. But my boss's wife was in (laughs) Armenta Coleman. You owe me a full platter of fried chicken for that statement. (laughs) I'll tell you. But uh, I said, my boss's wife is in bed sick, and the foreman of the job is sick himself, and so we had nobody to do this. I told him I could do it. And I said, "This is the first one I've ever done by myself, but uh, would you believe from then on, I started building houses, largely on my own. Now, I'm not here to pat myself on the back, but I'm saying that a lot of people in this life can excel and they can if they really put their the shoulder of the wheel. Now if you're going to live for God or live for yourself like that, and some of you living for the devil like that. How much more should we be committed to the cause of Christ? Praise God. I decided I wanted to play high school football. My mother told me not to. She had several dreams and such of me getting hurt, and, and I just ignored that. I said, I'm going to play football. And of course, my dad was on my side, and I went out... Would you believe, I practiced three days and I was on the starting lineup for our first game. I had no idea what was going on. <clears throat> the only thing that I knew was that if somebody ran my way with a football, I was supposed to tackle them. Now, that's about all I knew. And uh, then if someone caught a football or ran out for a pass and they were in front of me, I'm supposed to intercept the ball and run the other way with it. Now that's about all I knew. Of course I had played football you know from a child up. But I, I'm simply saying that you know if, if you will give yourself to the Lord like that. My dad was fishing way over behind our house. My dad fished every day. I mean whether he it was rain or it didn't make any difference. Fishing you know you had to go fishing. So he always wanted me to go in order to get in shape, he would drive his pickup truck, and I had a little hound dog, and I would run behind the truck. It was an unpaved road, and, and so he would, he would set the speed. You know, when I say set it, we didn't have cruise control, but he would keep the speed, as, and, and I would run behind. And uh, before I got in good shape, if I was tired, he'd slow down, and I'd just jump on the back of the pickup truck. I'd rest a little bit, and I'd hit the ground running. After a while, I could run all the way over there and all the way back. And I said, I'm going to be a football player. Well, my football career ended when my mother's dream came true. I busted my ankle, and I'm still living with this. Wish I'd have never played. But I tell you, all these serve as reminders Of how thankful you need to be to God for what God has done. And how much you need to be committed to the Lord for what He has done. Praise God. It is just difficult, however, to get people committed to the Lord. I I, I think if, if everybody here would understand just what God has done. Now you can get people committed to fun nights and and chili bowls, and, and, and I'm not against that. Otherwise, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't put my approval on it. But I am saying this: if you can, if you can play in the chili bowl on Saturday, you can come to prayer meeting Friday night. Amen. Because the greatest skirmish that's taken place on the planet Earth is man in his quest to overcome evil. And many times overcome himself. And it is amazing how easy the battle is with Satan when you conquer your flesh. You know, I was just looking through the Bible, Hebrews 11, and I, I'm, this is not any deep study or anything. I just, I just simply want to express my appreciation to God. For all that God has done for me, God has been so, so good to me. Hebrews 11th chapter. Won't read the whole chapter, but if you just look at verse 32 and we'll start reading there. And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and David also and Samuel. that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and of scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains, and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise. It's talking about the promise of the Holy Ghost, that the Lord promised that He would give. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. You know, when I, when I, when I read about the Old Testament saints, now I, I understand the value of the church age, and the value of the apostles. But to to me, some of the great examples of godly living are found in the Old Testament. I mean, people without the Holy Ghost as we know the Holy Ghost. Without the personal relationship with God as we know. Abraham. Abraham is he's the father of the, of the faithful. The, the founder uh, of what we would call uh, the Jewish nation today. But but Abraham never owned a, a piece of ground in his life except just a burial place. When he left Ur and went into this land, God just told him to to march, walk. Now Abraham was a man that, uh, you know, if you read it, you, you you understand that he was quite wealthy. He could have if he had a wanted to. But the, the thing about it was God told him to walk. And that's what he did. He lived in tents. And that's all he ever lived in, as far as as I know. And he didn't drive the tent stakes very deep because he was moving all the time. Moving all the time. He had a precious wife by the name of Sarah. And God had promised them a child. When Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90, Isaac was born to them, the promised child. My, if God could perform a miracle like that, God could have given him the deed and title to all uh, uh, of Israel. All of the promised land. But that's not what God wanted. You see, Abraham just stretched his tent out upon the mountaintops. Crawled to the rugged peaks of those places and looked out into the empty air and talked to a God that he knew was out there someplace. He believed in him. He knew he was there. And then to think that all of a sudden, all of a sudden this man who had left everything had such a spirit of thanksgiving sweep over his soul when that young child was born. My, the promised child. The child that God said from his seed would all the nations of the earth be blessed. My, Somehow he must have had a revelation that the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, was to come through Isaac. He just, he just had such a spirit of thanksgiving. And then when the child was, well, some Bible scholars tell us that, that Isaac possibly could have been the age of Jesus Christ when Jesus was placed upon the cross. He probably was not just a, a, a young teenager. Uh, others place his age at somewhere around 30. I, I think that's a little bit insignificant, but to think that, that all of a sudden God tells him to take this child and, and we want you to offer him as a sacrifice upon an altar. My, I mean, I could, I, could just, I could just almost see the questions that would be going over and over and over in his mind. I don't know if he talked to Sarah about what he was going to do or not. Possibly. They're going to go and offer Isaac. You know that this woman was very, very fond of her child. You know the skirmish that took place between her and Hagar as a result of Ishmael being born. But nevertheless, the Lord told him to do this, and, and without hesitation... I mean, without hesitation, he did it. My, if God asked you to give up something, what if God talked to your heart about giving $1,000 this coming Christmas, in the Christmas for Christ offering? How eager would you be to part from that money? You You know what I'm talking about? What if God says, sell your house and all your belongings and give it to the cause of the Lord? Now, I'm putting these things out to you because this is... I I don't know of anything that would be equivalent to this. Naturally, when the Mosaic Law was given, human sacrifices were prohibited. But this was before the Mosaic Law. So God had not specifically stated to anyone, you should not offer human sacrifices. Obviously, those people worshiping Jehovah had not done that because God had not required that and did not want that. But God was testing this man's faith. Now, the Bible says that Abraham rose up early in the morning while it was yet dark. The Lord told him to go the next day. I wonder how many of us would have waited around until almost dark to leave. And and I don't know, but I can see the sun coming up I can see Abraham and Isaac along with a couple of servants. I can see them crawling up a mountainside. They've got the donkey, the, the wood, they, they've got everything there. And, and I can see Sarah as she peers out and she sees just the silhouette of her son. And she knows that her husband is taking her son to sacrifice him. I can hear in my mind right now the sobbings that come to this poor lady as she understands what's about to happen to her son, her promised son, her only son. She was probably moved emotionally beyond words. Reaching the place and sobbing until she was just heaving, sick inside. What's going to happen? But if God said do it, and my husband believes in God, and I believe in God, it's got to be that way. Let me tell you something. If I'm reading Hebrews 11 correctly, Abraham had enough faith in God to believe that if he... Slew that boy upon the altar. And a fire fell from heaven and consumed him. That from the very ashes God would raise him up again. That's the faith he had in God. And I challenge Holy Ghost filled people. And the reason why is because the Bible says God having provided some better thing for us, let me tell you, Abraham did not have the power of the Holy Ghost. He didn't have this tongue-talking experience. He didn't have what we have inside of us that causes us to jump with such great joy and clap when such great feelings come over us. And yet when we're asked to sacrifice, we wrestle with ourselves and we wrestle with God. We say, I don't know if I can do this or not, Lord. I just don't know. My son, my only son. Job, the book of Job is possibly the oldest book in the Bible. Written well before the early chapters of the Bible that we, as it's canonized, that is Genesis. Because Job, the age he lived, he lived probably during the time in which Abraham was alive or somewhere thereabout. If you think of Job and Think of all the things. He lost everything he had. Now, if this would to happen to me, if it happened to you, I wonder how many questions we'd have. If there were someplace around, some preacher that would do counseling, I wonder how much time he'd need to spend with us just in order to save our souls, because we'd lose our fidelity, our loyalty to God. And yet when three friends came in and begged him to curse God, he would not. His attitude was, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He said, I came into this world with nothing and I'm going out with nothing. And he maintained his lofty position with his Redeemer. But sometimes the the least little thing can happen. A flat tire and we say, Lord, why me? Or some appliance goes bad in the house. Lord, why me? Isn't that right? And most of this, you boil it down to one thing, and that is that people are just not... Thankful. Oh, well, what the consequences would be. And the king was so wrought about all of this, the Bible says that he commanded the keepers of the furnace to make it seven times hotter than it had ever been before. It was so hot that the people who threw them in literally died as though... You're talking about God granting a victory like never before. This inferno, this literal hell. They were bound and cast in there. They were left in there for a little while, and then somebody decided they wanted to look. And they looked down in the fire. And you know what God had done? He had allowed the flames to burn the ropes, but not their garments. When they came out, they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them, the Bible says. Isn't that something? My. And when those people looked down in there and said, Did not we bind three men and cast them in the fire? The king says, Right. Well, something's happened. There's four of them down there. And the king looked and said, We bound three men. But there's a fourth man in there. And the fourth one is likened to the Son of God. Now I'm saying all that to say this. I don't care what comes upon the face of this earth. And I know that these are perilous times. But God is able to see you through the fire. Hallelujah. He will walk beside you. He will lead you. He will guide you. Don't bow down to the music of this world. Don't put on worldly garments and parade yourself around. Don't talk like the world. Don't act like the world. Come out from among them and be as separate, saith the Lord. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. <laughs> Years passed on. The kingdom changed Nebuchadnezzar through his disobedience lost his kingdom. His son took over and then his grandson, Belshazzar. Later the Medes and the Persians came in in a joint effort and took the city. Later on, things began to happen. There was a prophet there. He went in as a young man in captivity. King Darius there was another little decree set forth for this king through a conniving effort of some of his his uh, servants subjects maybe I should say Daniel prayed to his God now listen they say you can't pray in a public school yes you can Daniel can pray in Babylon you can pray at west high or east high the a or memorial, it doesn't make any difference. You can pray there. Three times a day he went and prayed. Three times a day. Always looked toward Jerusalem. I wonder why he looked toward Jerusalem. He wanted to see his country rebuilt. He wanted to see his people have a place where they could worship Jehovah. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray... And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. And I will heal their land. America needs a healing. This is the reason why. that You need to go to the polls next Tuesday. Not this coming Tuesday. But a week from this Tuesday. And you need to vote conscientiously. If you have to cross party lines to do it. Do it! But whatever you have to do. Vote to the best of your ability to make sure that freedom of religion continues to be a mainstay here in the United States of America. Praise God, praise God, praise God. But Daniel continued to pray and somebody went and told on him, The lions that had not eaten for days. Let me tell you something. You go down to the zoo and you see these big old fat lions that get these big club steaks and everything every day. <clears throat> you go in there and they look so innocent, you know, swatting flies, and you want them to roar. You know, just get up and walk. You can't get one of them up, lazy thing. <clears throat> Isn't that right? Peter said, "Be sober, be vigilant." The Bible says, "Your adversary," that's what he says. Walketh about seeking who he may devour. He as a mighty roaring lion, he says. In other words, what? He, what? Basically, those innocent little old pets are not so innocent. And let me tell you something. You let them do without food for three days, they'll eat their mother. They're vicious. And so we will let the lion starve for a few days and we'll throw this prophet in. Do you know how old Daniel was when he went in the lion's den? Daniel was 90 years old when he went in the lion's den. He was not a young man like most people perceive. Most of us, when we get a few aching bones, we can't come to a prayer meeting. We can't do anything anymore. We think we've outgrown God. We've matured past that. But there's still work to be done on the planet Earth. And Daniel, 90 years old, went into the lion's den. But God locked the jaws of the lions. You know... No complaints from Daniel. No complaints from the Hebrew children. No complaints from Abraham. On and on and on the story goes. But in this last day, in our pampered society, where we're blessed with so many good things, you know, if things don't go well, We get disgruntled. We not only have bad days, but some of us have bad weeks. It's been grouchy all week. True? Now, I'm talking to you about something that's very, very important. Extremely important. You see, the Holy Ghost dispensation started with ten days of prayer and fasting in the upper room. If I'm understanding this scripture correctly, when I read 1 Corinthians 15, over 500 people heard Jesus tell them to go back to that upper room, but only 120 went. And yet they fasted and they prayed and they sought for another Pentecost. Oh, you know what we like to do? We like to go where all the shouting is, where somebody else has prayed, where somebody else has sought God. We like miracle healers, can lay hands on us. But we don't like to contribute that much because it just rubs the old flesh the wrong way. But you see, if my Bible is right, and I know it is, I believe that I have conclusive evidence that there aren't times in which you do depend on others, but there are other times when you have to fight your own battles, build your own fires, chase your own devils. You've got to do that. And then I see the apostles thrown in prison. Paul and Silas, they were thrown in prison. I don't know what I would do if somebody threw me in prison. But they were thrown in prison for preaching the truth. If they complained, the Scripture doesn't say anything about it. In fact, of all the people in the New Testament who were thrown in prison for preaching the truth, I cannot find one prayer that was ever prayed by that individual in prison for himself. When Peter and John were thrown in prison in the early chapters of the book of Acts, did they pray for their release? Absolutely not. Did they pray that God would have pity upon their suffering bodies? Absolutely not. Let me tell you how they prayed. They prayed like this. And now, O Lord, stretch forth your hand to declare signs and wonders and miracles among your people to prove that you are indeed the Savior, the Redeemer of the plain earth. They prayed that God would be glorified and that the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ would be lifted up. All the original twelve apostles, with the exception of John, who was exiled on Patmos, died by execution. They were killed. History tells us, we don't find this in the Bible. But when Peter was to be executed, they were going to nail him to a cross, a cross similar to the one that his Lord died on. And he remembered how he had drastically failed God and denied the Lord his crucifixion. And this is the statement that has been credited to him. Don't crucify me in the matter in which my Christ died. For I deserve far less than he ever deserved. And history states that he chose to be crucified upside down because of his extreme gratefulness and thankfulness for God, not turning him aside, but filling him with the Holy Ghost. It's been so good to me. I remember the first little Pentecostal church I attended. It's down behind the sawmill down in the little valley. The owner of the sawmill allowed my grandfather and my uncle to build it out of slabs from the sawmill. Didn't have any windows, just had openings. A few of the older ladies came in. They'd go out in the woods and break off some branches and come in. That's why we scared mosquitoes and bugs away. Kerosene lanterns hanging up from the seat. It was in a little church like this. And God first talked to my heart. It was like the Lord just threw a lasso back and got a hold of me and started pulling me down the aisle. You know, we we're very fortunate to have a piece of property like this and a church building like this. No fans, nothing. All of our Sunday school classes were in the same room. We, th- we think the sound's bad here, but we had one over here. One over here, the pastor taught the Bible lesson. We had two in the back. I don't know how we did it, but we did it. God was filling people with the Holy Ghost. No electric fans, you know. In fact, I remember the first electric fan we got. I must have been 12, 13 years of age. We thought it was just a miracle from heaven. We only had one fan. We plugged it in, set it down on the floor. We all went and got a little quilt and put it in front. We slept there, just a whole row of us. It's almost like we died and went to heaven. So, in front of this fan. It was something else, I'll tell you. we trade that fan back and forth, wear that thing out, you know. <laughs> we come to church now, we'd write and complain. It's too hot, it's too cold, sounds too loud. Never, anything's... You know, it's never just right. Preacher doesn't preach long enough or he preaches too long. You know, really, I'm serious with you. Nothing's ever right. Somebody didn't speak to me. You know, I wonder what they they got against me. We got our mind on a thousand things outside of getting people prayed through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Had to forgive me. Jesus is soon to return. <laughs> I believe it with all my heart. This business in the Mideast has got me stirred. I'm not afraid. I'm just, I have a fear for some of you. You drag in late, you never come to a prayer meeting. What are you going to do if Jesus comes back and you're left behind? I guarantee you one thing. You'll do everything you can to get in here come service time. I'm not trying to be hard on you. I'm trying to stir you. I'm trying to provoke you. I'm trying to wake you up. Because this is more than a dream. It's real life. Heart-beating, pulsating life we're living. And we won't walk down these streets anymore. It's one chance, one shot toward eternity. Brother John Repka gave me this tape. I've been keeping up with this. Brother Lot, who lives in Cameron, Mississippi, has been in the process of acquiring red calves, heifer calves, for Israel. And as far as I know, he has shipped six of them there because country of Israel wants to start offering sacrifices again. And according to the book of Leviticus the red heifer was a type of Christ that was to be crucified outside the city or slain outside the city the blood was captured from the red heifer and then of course it was used for uh, the cleansing or the atoning of sins I said Leviticus, it's Numbers 19 me, too. but they would then burn the heifer upon an altar, collect the ashes, mix them with water, and they use they they would use uh, hyssop, and uh, it was to to purify uh, those people. And uh, what what we're reading is that that uh, in hearing is that. Brother Lot, who is a rancher but more of a, 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 a cattle broker, had uh, been examining uh, calves, and these are red Angus, I understand. I guess he has six of them. I think it was what the tape said. And uh, they are probably in Israel now. Now, we know, according to Scripture, that at the time of the Antichrist, they will be offering sacrifices because the Antichrist will cause the oblation to cease. The word oblation is used in in relationship to, to sacrifice. They have not offered sacrifices in Israel since before or since the time of their captivity into Babylon. Now <clears throat> what shall I say other than the Lord's coming? We talked about Thursday night the peace treaty that signed. I read a portion of the paper. This is the first time in the history of the nation of Israel outside of the 1979 agreement that Israel has with Egypt that they have offered any settlement of peace. And now they're saying we're all the children of Abraham. Some through Hagar and Ishmael and some through Sarah and Isaac. But let's open the boundaries. Isaiah prophesies that a highway will go out of Egypt, into Syria. And that's what they're talking about, do super Iowa. You don't need a passport. You don't need a visa. We're just all God's children. That's what they're saying. Some believe in Jehovah. Some are non-believers at all. Some believe in Muhammad. But nevertheless, we're all brothers. So, where do we go from here? I'll tell you what you better do. You better keep your heart right with Jesus. You better, be, you better mean business in your service for God. I want you to stand. In Luke 17, 26 through 29, the Bible says, as it were in the days of Noah, and then as it were in the days of Lot. They were marrying, they were given in marriage, they were building, I've taught Search for Truth many times. I've preached many times. You look in the Bible about the sin of the days of Noah. Perversion was so great there, uh, in the days of Lot, that is. Perversion was so great that when the angels of the Lord came, men came and wanted a sexual encounter with those angels. Can you believe that? That's what the Bible says. God smote them with blindness, and even those blind perverts got on the outside and felt along the wall to find out where the door was. But the amazing thing is that when Jesus prophesied in, in, in Luke and prophesied in Matthew, when he spoke of Noah and when he spoke of Lot, he never mentioned the sin that they were doing. Never said anything about their sin. You know what he talked about? He talked about their lifestyle that led them to a place of being ungrateful, unthankful. That's what he did. He said they were just building and eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the floodwaters came and took them all away. Listen to me, brother, listen to me, sister. If you crucify your flesh tonight and get a hold of God, coming to church, being faithful, being committed, it's not that difficult. It's just that God has blessed you so much that you have the you are of the opinion I can live with or without God. No, you can't. Oh, how fooled you are. How fooled you are. We're going to open the altar now and give you an opportunity to come and seek the Lord. All around the pulpit here you can come and give your heart to God. If you're a guest of ours, make sure that you are prepared to meet the Lord before you leave this place tonight. Come on right now if you feel the Spirit of the Lord lassoing you and pulling you down here, don't resist. Don't tug. Run with God. Come and give your heart to the Lord. Bow your knees before Him. Seek Him before it's too late. Call upon Him while He is near. Come on right now. Oh yes, come on right now. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Go ahead. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are